0: Welcome to the AMFA Insider. I am your host, Scott Vandemotter. The AMFA Insider is sponsored by AMFA National. Today we have with us Louis Key. Louis is the former National Director of AMFA. He is also the Secretary of the Americas for AEI. Louis has been with Alaska Airlines for 43 years, and he's due to retire later this year. Louis has some great insight on AMFA and unions in general. I hope you all enjoy this as much as I enjoyed recording it. All right. I'm here with Louis Key. Hi, Louis. Great to see you again. Thank you for joining me. Good morning, Scott. It was great to meet you at the AMC this spring, and uh, we got to hang out, so I thought that was great. Um, what did you think? Was that your first AMC?
1: That was actually, I've been to several of those, but that the event keeps getting better every year. That was very well done, I thought.
0: For those who don't know, let's start out with Um, how you got into aviation and kind of maybe your, whether or not you were in the military or what school you went to, what, you know, that kind of thing, what piqued your interest? Was it uh, like a lot of people top gun or what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. Very interesting. Uh, No, good question. I, I was living with my grandfather, my grandparents through high school, and my grandfather had been involved in aviation throughout his career. He, as a young man, actually even worked out in White Sands, New Mexico at the V2 rocket development site. And he had some great photo albums and snippets of his career through, through time. He had worked a period at McDonnell Douglas, as well as Boeing, and then some years at American Airlines. But uh, you know, he always had an interest in aviation. And when, at, when I was living out there in Texas uh, with my grandparents, my, my mom and my stepfather, who my mom was living in Alaska at the time, um, married a fellow who was the head of the AP school in Fairbanks, Alaska, a guy named Don Berry. A uh, lot of people throughout the state of Alaska knew Don Berry um, and headed up the AP school in Fairbanks. And they invited me to come up to Alaska to attend AP school after I graduated high school. And so I did that. Um, and I guess initially my intent was to maybe look into the education aspect with the influence of Don working there at the a school. But uh, after the school year was done and I just got my a license, uh, a fellow from Alaska Airlines came over looking to hire uh, you know a mechanics. They had gotten a Japan Airlines contract there in Fairbanks and they needed fellow people to uh, do the ground handling for Japan Airlines as well as work the Alaska Airlines flights. And so that's how I got started. Uh, a couple of my classmates and I were hired to uh, work at Alaska Airlines there in Fairbanks.
0: And um, that was your first and last job, is that right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's
1: <laughs> correct. Yeah, good point. I, I took that thinking at the time it was going to be a summer job. Uh, I had already enrolled at that time to the University of Hawaii. Hawaii and Alaska have a residency reciprocation agreement. Wow. And I thought that fall, I was going to be heading off to go to the University of Hawaii. So it was, I initially thought it was a summer job. Wow. But here we are somewhat 43 years later and I'm still <laughs> working at Alaska.
0: Yeah. And you're on on track to retire soon, is that right?
1: Uh, you know, that's the plan, yes. Hopefully at the, at the end of this year, that's the goal is uh, be, uh, moving into retirement.
0: Wow. That's amazing. Do you remember... What your um, what your pay was when you first started? Oh, I think it was
1: like around twelve
0: dollars, twelve
1: something an hour. Yeah, and we were really excited because back then with the IM contract, you know, we had an unlimited cost of living. So every quarter you'd get a few, you know, a nickel here, a nickel there raise. Yeah, it was yeah pretty funny looking back at that now.
0: And somewhere along the way, you got married and have had kids. How many kids do you have? I have two children, uh, a son,
1: Forrest, my daughter,
0: Novell. Yes. And what, what are they, how are they doing in life? Are they grown adults now doing well? Hopefully
1: they are. And here's an interesting, uh, bit is Forrest, uh, when he came out of high school, he had approached me about going to A&P school. And at that time that was right about when Northwest airlines was on strike, um, a lot of the major airlines were outsourcing all of their maintenance and laying off mechanics by the hundreds or thousands. And so I said, well, anything but that. (laughs) So he went on to become a fireman and an EMT. Oh And he did that for a few years up in the state of Alaska. Um, But then he came to realize that that wasn't his cup of tea. He he wanted something different for a career. and, And again, thought about going to EMP school. And so he did, you know, things had changed over the years that while he was becoming a EMT and the, the career path now and the demand for aircraft mechanics is like high as it's ever been or higher. And yeah. so being a licensed uh, technician has value these and it's being recognized finally. And yeah, so, finally, um,
0: Jeez, it's been a long enough. Uh,
1: absolutely. And so it the in- interesting bit is 40 years to the day after I started he got a bid. He started off as a ramp service guy at Alaska, worked his way, became a tech helper, went through a and P and then became a technician. And he started as a technician on June 1st, um, 2019, which was 40 years to the day of when I started, June 1st, 1979. <laughs> wow. So we couldn't have
0: planned that any better.
1: That's amazing.
0: And your daughter? And my daughter's.
1: Yep. that daughter, she's doing great. She graduated from the uh, University of Washington,
0: mm-hmm. um, UW, and she's working for NOAA uh, here in oh, Seattle aer- now. Aerospace or the Weather uh, Service? Yep. the National Oceanic
1: oh. Atmospheric Association. Yeah. Wow.
0: And uh, here in Seattle. So
1: they're doing great.
0: So now you live in Seattle. So you went from Texas to Alaska near Washington? <laughs> Correct. Yeah, Split the diff- split the difference. Yeah right. How was the, how was it like living in Alaska?
1: Uh, living in Alaska was was really neat. It, the summers up there are magical. Uh, this wonderful, you know, I, I was out camping, hiking, fishing every weekend through the summer. Uh, through the winter, you know, you can only do so much snow sports, uh, with snowmobiling and skiing. But uh, it, it gets so I lived in Fairbanks, and it gets so cold up there that the winters became a little brutal. So yeah, it's yeah. time for
0: it's um no dog sledding for you <laughs> no i never tried <laughs> dog sledding. it always seemed like a lot of work To uh, you got to have a, maintain this pack of dogs at your oh, house i guess for yeah
1: and you, so you see those
0: around town in fairbanks and there's a lot of noise associated with those
1: dogs a lot of noise i can imagine
0: yeah and mess yeah so if you have all those dogs you're basically training the dogs to be like super athletes because they're pulling the sled. And so like, if you don't exercise them, it has to be a nightmare to have those things. Oh yeah. They seem to have a lot of energy. Yeah. Yeah. So at Alaska airlines, uh, you started out as a mechanic. Are you still a mechanic or you have you transitioned to um, lead or inspection or anything like that?
1: I I have my inspection authorization, you know, RII. Um, I did not, bid into a lead you know we have a seniority system at alaska airlines At each classification has their own seniority list so if a 20-year mechanic or 40-year mechanic might bid into becoming a lead mm-hmm. you go to the very bottom of that list so a guy uh-huh. with five-year seniority that has six months or two days of lead seniority you know a 40 year guy would be behind him so wow. i wasn't willing to give up my seniority to go to the bottom of another seniority list uh,
0: yeah, that's tough. Like you almost have to make the move soon in your career. Yeah, if you're gonna do it,
1: it's best to do it early in your career, I think.
0: All right, so that's your how you started. What about um, your involvement with Amfa? I, I think um, you know uh, when I when I was talking to Justin Madden, who you worked with at the national office, he, he has a great affection for Dell Femini who started Amfa, and he also mentioned that you are probably, if Dell is one A, you're one B as far as influence in AMFA, as far as um, longevity, what you've seen and what you've done for the organization is just like really second to really the founder uh, as far as he was concerned. So, so how did you first learn about AMFA or when did you encounter them and how did that go down?
1: Right, so working at Alaska Airlines, we were in the IAM union and in 1985, we had a big IAM strike. Um, during that strike, it was, uh, I, I view it as a, a big defeat for the union. Um, I think the contract we settled for to end the strike was every bit as bad, if not worse than the contract that we went on strike to prevent. And wow. so we we lost a lot in that uh, that strike. That, and that helped shape my opinions going forward on how to deal with different uh situations like that through contract struggles. But um after that striking, you know, I argued a lot with the IAM leadership over contract language. And one of the guys said, well, if you think you can do any better, you need to get involved. So I did. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I was an IAM shop steward. And when the AMFA drive fellow some of the guys I knew and respected started the drive and I came, I went to the IAM leadership. And it was basically told, just ignore it. It'll go away. And then um, it didn't, it it grew, it grew in strength. And I watched how the IAM responded to the drive. and they weren't being responsive at all to the demands or uh, to the concerns, I guess, that the mechanics were raising. And so eventually uh, I realized that it was a mistake to keep defending the IAM and I got involved with the amphidrive, and I and helped reach out to people I'd known around the system to support the drive and we were eventually successful.
0: And how many mechanics at that time were part of Alaska Airlines and were eligible to vote on this? So we had probably close to a thousand mechanics
1: or so, but we also had the uh, the fleet service, the air, you know, and. Building maintenance, automotive maintenance in the class and craft. So there's probably 1,200 people all together.
0: I guess this is a good time to talk about some of the advantages of AMFA because, um, you know, a lot of people really don't understand, unless you've been a part of another union, um, some of the advantages AMFA has. And one of them that I see referenced a lot is the, um, the way they communicate and the democracy portion of IMFA. Basically, um, they are um, more communicative than some of the large like national unions like IAM or Teamsters. And they also are, you know, more representative of the workers because those are the people who are actually in charge at the top of the union are, are mechanics, just like any of us. So uh, is that something that appealed to you at that time or um, was it was it something else?
1: Oh no, you're you're absolutely spot on, uh, because it is a small group. It's a very narrow focused group, and so they can concentrate on those concerns of those members, and it, you know the the priorities don't get diffused by other interests all you know tugging for attention, and so you can focus on your membership and meet those needs and be responsive to that membership. So yes, that was very much a driving factor.
0: Yeah. You mentioned the strike at um, Alaska. Did you, uh, you know, what was your experience? I've never been a part of a strike. (laughs) I'm uh, I'm sure a lot of people haven't, you know, that's a pretty extreme situation when you finally get to strike, there's a lot of negotiations that happen before that. And there's probably a lot of bad feelings that go along with that. So what was your experience like, being on strike. Yeah, it was
1: not pleasant. You know, I was young at the time, so the strike was in 1985. I was um, about 24 years old when we went out on strike. So I was a young guy, and I had looked around, and you know, even though I had a house at that time, I was looking around me at people who were married with uh, families and mortgages and, and concerns, and, and they were willing to risk all of it, and so you put everything on the line. So it was it was interesting time to, to be involved with that. Um, it was maybe less hard for me as a single person than these fellows with families, but it was gut wrenching to go through that. But then as you were, as we were on strike, you know, you, you're locked out and we would be picketing at designated picketing spots. And you'd, you'd see the, the vans coming in with the windows papered over where the strike breakers, the scabs or, um, whatever your inclination to call them would <laughs> right. were escorted into the buildings to to take your job, and it just felt very ineffective. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing that happen day after day, so it, it was it was tough. And then after the strike concluded, um, to end every strike, you have to settle on a back to work agreement. And of course, uh, it was another eleven months after the strike before I was eventually recalled to work. Wow! So it was, it wasn't just a strike period that you're, you may be out for, but it's also some period after,
0: after the strike. So, um, at what point, um, you know, I'm just curious about like the solidarity portion of it, because I'm sure at the beginning of the strike, everyone is, um, enthusiastic, but, you know, as time goes on, you know, you've missed a couple paychecks, you know, the solidarity situation probably breaks down a bit. What, um, Am I reading that right, or do, are people kind of no, abandoning no, you're, 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 the situation, or what, what goes on there? You're exactly there? right.
1: You're exactly yeah. right. We saw that happen at, during the Alaska Airlines strike. Um, I had, was calling back to people I knew in Fairbanks and different other stations, you know, just checking out with everybody routinely. And then you, you call up to speak with them one day, and there's no answer. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. And yeah. then you find out, well, that fellow crossed the picket line and went back to work. And I can similar stories when uh, Amfa had the strike at Northwest Airlines. You, know, you see, you see that happen. That's the course of that.
0: Yeah, we'll get to that one in a little bit. I definitely want to hit on that <laughs> because that's an interesting one. But um, let's go on with your um, okay. So at this point in time, it's 1985. You're on strike. You go back to work with IAM in Alaska, and then Amfa enters the picture. So you're a shop rep for IAM. How did you, did you transition to a shop rep at at AMFA as well? Or what was your, how did that um, escalate?
1: Yeah. So after helping get AMFA, you know, on the property, we won the election. So then we had to establish our transition committee and the fellows who were most active in the drive uh, approached me and asked me if I would become the airline representative at the local. So I grabbed the AMFA constitution to learn what that airline representative is and I saw that that had a lot of responsibility and yeah, I was a little leery <laughs> of taking that on. Um, but, you know, they, they, they asked know, they really approached me and anyway, convinced me to do that. So uh, I agreed to do that. Um, with some arm wrestling from uh, Ovi Del Femme, as you said, the, uh, the founder of AMFA, you know, and we have a good support system and resources to support the officers. So anyway, I agreed to take the position. And, and and did and it was funny the first day that AMPA was certified i think it was april Fool's day 1998 <laughs> and on day one we had a fellow get fired and so here i am first day on the job anphi's first day on property and uh, had a termination case to deal with right out
0: right off the bat wow and so um don't leave us hanging how did it turn out it didn't turn out well It didn't out
1: well. yeah the the fellow had 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 bought a brought a a gun on property forgot it was in his backpack someone else saw it and uh, the arbitration didn't go his way
0: ah darn it yeah oh that sucks but anyway um so after being an airline rep what happened next how did you get involved with the because when i started at southwest airlines you were the um national director and you had been for some time so how did you get into that position or what steps did you take along the way to get
1: so i did the two years as the airline rep there in seattle and was just elected to a uh, another a second term as the airline rep when they had national officer elections and by that time you know we had uh, um alaska and masaba had joined amfa and so uh, people had asked me if I'd run for the regional director spot, a national spot. And so I agreed and I ran for the region one director position. And so I I did that for two terms, for eight years. Um, during the second term, well, and during those eight years, we we gained several other airlines. You know, we had a lot of growth. That was a big part of our job was
0: organizing
1: during those years.
0: Yeah, during those years you had... United, right. In Northwest. That's correct. Yeah. yeah we, I think we got Northwest was the first
1: big airline. So we got mm-hmm. Northwest and later United and Masaba, you know Southwest Masaba independence air. There were, uh, Atl- Atlantic coast. And so
0: I'm glad you mentioned growth. Atlantic coast because that was my first interaction with Amphi. I worked for Atlantic coast airlines in, in uh, 2003 and, um, Oddly enough, it was open shop, which I don't know, haven't really seen that since. But um, yeah, Yeah. that's where I actually first heard of AMFA. So I'm glad you Atlantic Coast. A lot of people don't know about Atlantic Coast Airlines and (laughs) Independence Air. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. A lot of airlines
1: have come and gone over the years.
0: Oh, yeah. So uh, go on. I'm region one director for eight years, and then I'm assuming you ran for national director. And how did that go?
1: Yeah, so at the end of, I guess the second term as region one director, that was when Dell retired and the fellow uh, named Steve McFarland who was the assistant national director then, he became national director. And then I was appointed to backfill the assistant national director the last year of my term um, as region one director. And then it was time for national officer elections again at the end of that, that term. And that's when uh, people asked me to run for national director. And uh, so that's in that election was when I became
0: the national director. And how many terms did you do for a national director?
1: I did that two terms.
0: Mm. terms. Okay. So, um, and then, um, so now we're almost up to present. You are (laughs) the, uh, secretary of the americas for aei what does that entail what is aei and what is what are your what is your job for that and then we'll get back to some of the stuff that went down as national director oh sure so
1: during the second term i i'm sorry the first term is national director uh, amfa joined this the aircraft engineers international as an affiliate and it's an uh, international organization that represents it's a collection of unions that represent only aircraft technicians. And in the United States, we're the only union that strictly represents just aircraft technicians. The, the industrial unions are not invited to become members. And so uh, we've been a staunch supporter of AEI and their, their goals, and, and they support AMPA and our goals. Um, we have a yearly, an annual Congress where the the delegates from the various unions get together and discuss issues facing aviation technicians uh, globally. And you you quickly learn it's the same issues they're dealing with that we see here, Mm. dealing with regulators or incompetency uh, in the workplace, uh, the management, trying to cut costs. It's Mm -hmm. the same struggles globally. It's universal. So it's, it's good to be a part
0: of that and
1: help support each other's uh, interests.
0: Yeah, that's interesting organization actually. I don't really know much about it and just first learned about it from uh, you guys at the uh, aircraft maintenance competition and from what our friends uh, from, actually there were two people from different sides of the world there with you. Uh, one guy from Australia And uh, he was talking about the exact same issues that we have like at Southwest and everywhere. So it was really interesting to see that, that, uh, you know, uh, it's basically take everything we have here in the United States and just put it in any country because it seems like it's the exact same kind of thing. They're dealing with bad management, parts shortages, you know, just all the same, you know, issues with regul regulators. Like here it's FAA, but there it's, you know, whatever their agency is. ICAO right. or whatever. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. And if, if you can just for people that are listening, if they go to the AMFA national website, there is a tab for affiliations and there's links on there uh, to the aircraft engineers international and they can learn a lot more about it there.
0: Mm-hmm. And actually there's a, you talked about that Congress. That's so basically a meeting that's going on uh, this year, right? Um, in uh, what country is that?
1: This year it's going to be in
0: Mauritius. Research. I had to get out of
1: Globe and look that
0: up. Where? <laughs> yeah, where, <laughs> where is, is it? that?
1: <laughs> it's yeah, it's way way across the world from here. Where is it? What what is it near? Oh gosh, where, what region? You'd have to like go down. It's you go down to Africa, then further down, go out toward um, oh Sri Lanka, and then keep going east. It's way out in the ocean.
0: Oh wow, a small <laughs> island nation. Oh really? Wow amazing um all right so now we've we're up to present let's go back let's talk about um those other airlines that you were involved with uh with amfa and kind of how you what happened there what your role was so you brought on northwest that was the first big airline you mentioned and uh, so how did that happen yes. um you know, they had some really good
1: organizers there at Northwest. They had been trying Dell had been working with a lot of the same, I guess, core believers in Amfa mm-hmm. at Northwest for many years. I you know before I met him at Alaska, he was involved with people there at at Northwest, and as as well as at United. And so it's kind of I maybe similar to what you've seen with the American Airlines campaign. You know, we've been working with those the American guys for years mm-hmm. and it just finally came together
0: it's a uh, slow process
1: right it's a very slow process led by a determined few people it seems like that mm-hmm. put in the hard labor the hours of tedious work to get people to sign cards keeping the, the authorization cards current and you know to put something like that together to, to get an election
0: so what year did Northwest come on? Do you remember or how were uh, were you involved at all in the transition team or how did that go down? I know whenever AMFA um, gets a new airline on board, really the members have to step up and do uh, all the work really of the so it's not like we send in some kind of crack team of uh, right AMFA officers <laughs> to go organize for them. They have to do all that themselves. Like the local president, the local vice president, the local secretary, all those people come from that new airline, and they have to step up into those positions and really um, make the whole thing happen, right?
1: That, that's absolutely correct. Unfortunately, you know, they've been working, AMFA had been working with the organizing officers for so long that we had kind of started that process ahead of time, knowing that at some of the bigger cities like at Minneapolis or Detroit and Atlanta, you know, they had their core group of people there that uh, formed the, the transition team mm-hmm. and held uh, officer positions on a transitional basis until we were actually able to hold uh, formal elections. And so, yeah, those, those, we had some really great people who had been involved with PAMPA for years helping with those drives that uh, stepped up into those roles.
0: So, I think that during that time you were region one director. So, what were the big bases there in your region? Um, Seattle was a, uh-huh. a big base. They had
1: a, down uh, yeah, in LA, Honolulu, there was a, a big, big presence over in Hawaii for Northwest. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. Anchorage, there were, Northwest guys up in Anchorage,
0: Alaska. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So eventually, um, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but um, eventually things deteriorate with Northwest. They go on strike or there's a lockout, depending who you ask. Um, There there was, um, I was reading a little bit about it. See, I wasn't involved because I was not with Northwest, nor was I involved with AMFA at that time, but um, there was some offer from the company right there were there was negotiations the company had some offer they were gonna basically lay off 50 percent of the workforce is that how you remember it or there were dirt for the strike is that what you're yeah yeah for that northwest knockout
1: yeah that that was in 2005. that was an interesting time because the the previous half contract was very successful and mm-hmm. it kind of reset really the, the industry for craft technicians in the pay.
0: Yeah, according to my notes, really, in 1999, the AMFA was um, signed on to represent Northwest Mechanics. And in 2001, they got the new contract signed. And apparently it was very good, as you're saying. And then in 2004, right. they were due for renegotiation. And that's when things went sideways, apparently. And it, it certainly seemed
1: that in that negotiations that Northwest airlines came in on the attack for half because it was unheard of that after the first month or two of negotiations, Northwest airlines applied to the mediation board uh, for mediation and to be, to be released for mediation. Like they mm-hmm. wanted, uh, yeah, they wanted to put pressure on the process immediately. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, they weren't, willing to negotiate uh, they just they wanted to get the self-help as soon as they could either like you said do a lockout but you know the railway labor act is slow and cumbersome yeah they were trying to do everything they could to expedite the process toward the end game
0: mm-hmm. and the end game unfortunately for everyone was the bankruptcy of northwest airline and basically the disillusion of the whole the whole thing it was once a great company and employed thousands of people, and uh, I don't know what happened, but it's no longer with us, so.
1: It was interesting
0: that the CEO
1: of Northwest Airlines, um, after the AMPA strike, he he left Northwest Airlines, went to work in the medical field for about a year, and then came back as CEO of Delta Airlines, and so Delta and Northwest just happened to file for bankruptcy on the same day, hmm. and then it was sometime later that Delta and northwest airlines merged mm-hmm. so i think it was all very orchestrated mm. uh, they played they were in it for the long game
0: yeah yeah and i guess you know people at our level we're not part of the club that makes those decisions right <laughs> i don't know mm-hmm. it, it seems like there was something being orchestrated and we were definitely not a party to that plan
1: yes nor, nor the other labor groups it was pretty rough for all involved
0: yeah so what what about united um United, I don't, there was no strike, right? But um, they were with IAM and then they, is that right? IAM? That's correct. They were with yeah. the IAM. Um, and then United
1: had gone into bankruptcy during that time. They were with the IAM. Mm-hmm. They came out. Um, AMFA was on property. And then again, while AMFA was there, uh, United went through bankruptcy again. So, Amfa had to oversee the bankruptcy process there at United Airlines. The longest um,
0: bankruptcy in airline history.
1: Oh, it, it was, was like brutal. Three
0: year. It was a three year, over three year long bankruptcy. <laughs>
1: yeah, it was. It was so hard to see how it upended lives. Uh, oh man, you know, yeah. I did to people. It was, you know, just hard. It's heartbreaking.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was also around the time that whole bankruptcy was because of 9-11, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of airlines, you know, obviously yeah. um, it was very extremely bad for airline travel to have, <laughs> it was extremely bad for everyone, 9-11, obviously, but for the airline business, it was especially hard hit.
1: Uh, absolutely.
0: And so the, eventually, you know, if
1: people were just so uh, disillusioned uh, through the bankruptcy process that, um, the Teamsters were opportunists, and they came in and did an organizing drive, making all kinds of promises to these, you know, the downbeaten United Airlines folks, and there were enough people that, that bought into that, that uh, when they held the election, uh, the Teamsters won that election, and AMFA was voted out.
0: Yeah, that was the beginning, or not the beginning, but that was, they were part of Local 4, which is uh, the local that I'm in, in Chicago. Mm-hmm. I carried over to this day local four so yeah uh, we have them to thank for that um all right now southwest southwest airlines when did they come on with Amfa?
1: gosh I'm not remembering the exact year but uh, I, I was region one director when the southwest organizing uh sent committee sent a few fellows out to meet with us I think we were in California mm-hmm. and uh, there were some guys you mentioned Justin Madden uh, Aaron Hansen, uh, a guy named Mark Russo from Phoenix. Some guys came out to meet with us there to talk about AMFA. And we're meeting with those guys and starting to get them on board with an organizing campaign. And that drive went amazingly well. People mm-hmm. at Southwest were, uh, very unhappy with the Teamster representation they had.
0: Mm-hmm. And AMFA has been very successful at Southwest. We, have uh... We did have some protracted long negotiations, but uh, in the end we're um, getting what we deserve with that. So I think yes. everyone is very, very happy with that. Um, I wanted to ask you, um, speaking of negotiations, I was reading that AMFA is one of the first organizations to institute open negotiations. Um, apparently is with Northwest and uh, in the past, unions such as IEM or Teamsters, it, all the negotiations were closed, meaning like you didn't know what was going on. The, you couldn't observe. There was no updates. There was really no information until they released uh, TA. And so AMFA was the first one to say, hey, we're going to let our members know exactly what's going on during these negotiations. And they would release updates um, after every meeting so that the membership could follow along with the process. So Um, do you remember that or what is your, Oh, oh, yes, absolutely.
1: I'm really glad you brought that up. And actually it was, you know, much before Northwest time, but we, we had open negotiations at Alaska airlines and I think even previous to that, because that was one of their, um, themes during the organizing campaign at Alaska was that, you know, we will have these open contract negotiations. One of the great frustrations we had with the IAM and, and during that strike was our negotiators would tell us, Oh, we're under a gay court. We can't tell you what's going on. You'll have to wait until you see the contract, uh, the the tentative agreement. And so when AFA came in and promised that we would have open negotiations where members could observe the process,
0: that was all we needed to hear. (laughs) That's a game changer because like the saying goes, knowledge is power. And if you have knowledge, then you can uh, exert Mm -hmm. your power uh, in whatever way that may be. because when you don't know what's going on, you don't know whether to be hopeful, you don't know whether to be mad or angry, or. but if you know exactly the process the whole way, that gives you the power to contact your representative and let them know, like, hey, you know, ask them questions or put your, Absolutely. your input and in. It, so it's a great thing. Hold them accountable.
1: Hold them accountable to you. They're They're representing you and they need to be accountable to you. So, yeah, that's imperative. I, I, mm-hmm. I think that's imperative with all, all negotiations. And it was frustrating some some years later when we were with AMFA. I was talking with a company negotiator and, and asked about that supposed gate order. And they just kind of chuckled and said, no, that was absolutely a self-imposed uh, way for the union negotiators to hide behind that where they just didn't want to share.
0: Exactly. It's, it's just a... Um it was an excuse for them to be shady about the whole process. And I think like a lot of things, when you, sh- when you shine sunlight on something, it has a cleansing effect. And if you, if um, you're giving updates constantly and being honest about your process, it has the effect of keeping everyone more honest and keeping everyone more above board. When they, when, when unions and companies are negotiating things in secret, I'm not saying there's corruption going on, but you could see how it would be more easy for someone with bad intentions to do things in secret. When you shine sun- sunlight on the process, that cleans those people out of that process. It does. It holds both
1: parties, everyone accountable, the company and the union mm-hmm. officers alike.
0: Yeah. yeah, I thought that was a really, really like strong point and a, a big strength of AMFA absolutely i couldn't agree more so uh your time as region one director um that's a part-time position right so part-time you work for Amfa, part-time you work for it
1: it is now when i was region one director it was full-time oh okay we had about eight locals at that time just in region one i think we had 18 locals across the country oh geez Wow.
0: Eighteen thousand members oh wow so
1: it it was full-time at that time
0: so what kind of, cha- so, so you, you've ridden the wave literally from when Anthe was small, huge. Now we're kind of at the small point again, ish we're growing, but you know, it's starting to grow again. Yeah. So what did you see as the big change from going to, cause when you joined with Alaska, it was what there was not that many members, right?
1: That's correct. I think when uh, Alaska joined, they only had one airline. I think that was Masaba. Yeah. And so we were so frustrated with the IAM and having gone through that strike that we were going to change, you know, no matter what. So we were determined to make it happen. So as a region one
0: director, how how did your job change from when you only had like 1,200 people to having 18,000 people or however many were in your region? How did that change like your daily life? It's too bad I didn't get frequent flyer miles. <laughs>
1: I had to have a, a few million racked up, uh, a lot of travel that involved. Uh-huh. Uh, got to a lot of know Got to know a lot of great folks, different cities. Got to know a lot of different cities better than I really wanted to. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, yeah, a lot of travel <laughs> that was involved. But uh, it was rewarding because, you know, you, you get to meet people. You see people who are going through issues that they're uh, – they're struggling with, and then you, hopefully you find tools for solutions. So it was, it was rewarding as well.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then what about as, as the, um, national director, that's also full-time. So, um, I imagine the traveling didn't stop when you became national director, right? It probably got, no, even no just more, if anything, maybe much longer trips, yeah, you know, the further yeah, away yeah.
1: places other than just region one.
0: And what were some of the challenges with that position? Like how did that differ from region one uh, region one director? Well, you've got a lot more to look
1: out for other than just <clears throat> the locals in your region and your members. You know, it's the entire association. So you become less of just dealing with local fires to like becoming a, a true uh, administrator. You'd have to look at how the business functions of the association. Um, We've we changed office locations from New Hampshire, moved out to Colorado to be in the center of the country. That was a big project to oversee, mm-hmm. to be a part of, uh, as well as staff you know, you have to over to the staff members. Um, so it, just, it was a much more comprehensive role.
0: Is there anything you can point to that shows, because when you're in charge of an organization of this size or really any size, when you're at the top, you are kind of in charge of the overall vision for the organization. What, is there something that you can point to that sh- is an example of what your vision was during that time for the organization?
1: Well, I, you know, we we had suffered uh, loss in membership. You know, mm-hmm. we'd gone through the bankruptcies at United uh, and Northwest. We lost those members, and so we needed to, I guess, triage the association. Mm-hmm. We needed to find a way to stabilize our association. Find a way where we can organize the association that we can be stable, and then once stabilized, you know, look for opportunities to grow again. And so we did that. It was very hard to go through that process. We had to um, consolidate locals. There's a lot of pride in, in individuals holding their local, mm-hmm. but for the sake of the association survival, we had to consolidate locals. You know, uh, Some locals were shut down. We had to merge other locals together. And so try and work, working through those process, getting the leadership of various locals. Hey, let's we're going to have to merge these two locals guys. So how, or, or three or more, how do we make this work? And so I, I held a lot of meetings with the local leadership on how to restructure the local structure to, to fit into a national model that we could survive and then stabilize and create these opportunities that we're seeing now where the association can grow again. So it was a long-term process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. First get stabilized and then look for opportunities to grow.
0: Yeah, you 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 probably um were living through the had to be one of the most difficult times for aviation in the history of aviation because like 9-11, we're still having effects from 9-11 to this day. Um a lot of companies like United, for instance, I don't <laughs> think they've ever recovered that they they were fundamentally changed by that one event and really um most people that are not in our business don't really understand that but um and it's not just united everyone you know some people some companies uh, recovered better than others like i think southwest is an example of um you know one of the good ones that actually did all right but um You know, United laid off thousands of people. They closed gigantic facilities. There's a facility right by me in Indianapolis, the maintenance base, state-of-the-art facility, in 2000, shuttered by 2002, and it's sad. You know what happened, and um, I commend you for for getting the organization through all that because there was a lot of events and a lot of things conspiring against us at that time, against labor in general, and against the airline business in general. So. Um, just what, how did you keep going during that time? Like, what, what was your motivation? Why did you feel that it was important to be involved with AMFA and stay, you know, on that path?
1: Well, you know, you could just see how, well, like, I guess, backing up, going through just even the organizing process, getting to know the individuals involved, getting to know people as an individual and. So you get to know them, and when you're uh, holding these informational meetings during the organizing phase, you, people bring their their wives or their kids to these events. You know, this is it's a family thing, and so when you see what has happened to, to these families when, like, when Indianapolis was closed down, a similar story up in Duluth, Minnesota, where for Northwestern Airlines to build this big hangar facility up there, and, and to see all these families that have lost their livelihood men that have spent their career, you know, getting, going through any peaceful, getting their license, getting a, you know, getting into this craft doesn't just happen. You, it takes a lot of dedication, and hard work to become a licensed aircraft technician. And so when you see how it affects people, that just gives you the, at least me, the, the, the energy to want to do whatever you can, you know, to help, help the situations. So,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so since you were involved with uh union. Um, you were involved with your union from an early age. You said you were 24. We became a shop rep. What advice would you give to um, young people? Cause there's a lot of, I work, we're hiring people like crazy at Southwest Airlines. There's a lot of young oh. people like I'm old there now. I used to be <laughs> young. Now, now there's kids that That's are starting. in their twenties. And so yeah. what advice would you give to them? What would be your your pitch i guess for getting involved with uh the union and why it's important
1: oh it is and i've, I've gone out of my way to reach out we're in the same scenario here at alaska a lot of young guys coming on board and so i've really reached out to a lot of the young technicians at alaska and fortunately what you've seen in the local executive council here in seattle local 14 a lot of the younger guys have gotten involved and so that's really wonderful but uh, because, like you said, it, it is what you make it. You know, it's a lot of people have this perception that, well, the union, that's the thing I pay dues to. And then they do everything for me. Well, with the you know, it's not. It's a laser focused you know, on our craft. And you can, as an individual or group a small group of individuals, truly make a difference. And so if you get involved, you, you really can control your destiny and have direct input into the direction of your union it it is your union
0: yeah i think that's a great point well said i've seen it myself like just um literally two to three people can make a huge difference in a local or even a national like it's it's amazing that's the great thing about is it's so um representative of the people so yeah great point yeah well i don't want to take up too much more of your time i feel like your time is valuable. It's the most valuable thing we have on this planet. So I appreciate you spending, you know, some of your valuable time with me. But one last thing, since you are planning on retiring, what what are your plans for retirement? What are you what are you looking forward to? Uh, before we were recording, we we're talking about camping and imagine your love of the outdoors. You know, since you were in Alaska, that you have a great appreciation for the outdoors. So what are your plans for retirement?
1: Well, my my plans are is Alinaf is, is moving back to Alaska. Is oh wow! And we're looking at uh, buying, getting a condo to spend mm-hmm. summers back up in Alaska, and, and appreciate those magical summers of Alaska. There's so much to do up there during the summer that you can never do it all. And then when that white stuff starts coming down the hill and settles into town, it'll be time to snowbird off to someplace warmer. <laughs>
0: that sounds amazing. Well, best of luck to you in retirement. It was really, really great talking to you. I really appreciate it. And thank you again for just giving us some of your valuable time. Oh, thanks so much,
1: God. And you know what? Thank you. I appreciate what you do for the association. It takes a lot of your time. And it's a lot of work to put these together. So thank you. And it's been my pleasure meeting you.
0: Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to the Ampha Insider. Make sure to like and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're using. We're on Spotify, Google, Apple, etc. Thank you and stay safe.